0: Welcome to PBC Talks. If you would like to find out more information, please visit pbc.org.uk. So this is weird. (laughs) I I too used to sit in the balcony and um, board off of my box sometimes. And uh, I used to throw things on people's heads, just to drop things. And I, 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 I preached my first sermon here when I was 16. And I've never been asked to preach again here. <laughs> Reuben said, uh, I un- you, you may understand why after this. Reuben said, Wear a suit. I said, What? He said, Wear a suit. The mayor's going to be here. He's got a chain. So I put on the suit. I'm not sure that's a good enough reason. <laughs> it's a good enough. A good enough reason. Um, so many memories. I have um, a mentor back in Scotland. I have many mentors. I need lots. And uh, one of the mentors in Scotland I have is uh, he's a big Glaswegian guy, and uh, he's been a pastor for years. He used to be a docker years ago. And whenever he sees me, he says, "Big man." disturb yourself and then looks at me as if he's going to kill me (laughs) big man disturb yourself and i think what he's trying to say is don't settle don't just settle don't coast don't just drift don't think you've done the hardy hards. And now just freewheel down down the other side. There is a process in the Baptist circles, I'm sure it's in other circles as well, of which this is the culmination called settlement. But I don't think settle is the word for this. I think disturb is the word for this. In a a righteous and a godly way, get ready to disturb yourself, big man. (laughs) Disturb yourself. Disturb yourself, church. Disturb disturb yourself. Because if you don't disturb yourself, what happens is that you become content with layers upon layers upon layers of religion which will kill the God life. In every generation, there needs to be a kind of iconoclastic disturbance which says, let's destroy... No, that's too strong a word. Let's deconstruct some vehicles to get back to some values which will now carry the stuff of God. And so I I have no idea what what you do and what you're saying on an occasion like this, but you're going to get what you're going to get. So um, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Mark's Gospel and Chapter 3. If your Bible is on a device and you play Angry Birds, you will go to hell. (laughs) I'm not joking, I'm serious. If you play Candy Crush, you are in hell. I see that Will did not get the dress code. Although, great trousers. I mean, really great trousers. And the the, the no-sock look is great, but after a while, your shoes smell. Just, just saying. Um. <laughs> Do you know that... Um, Perhaps the better thing to say is let Jesus disrupt you. Let Jesus disrupt you with himself. Because actually when you read the New Testament, what you find again and again is Jesus just disrupting things. Sometimes really gently, sometimes less than gently. Jesus is a massive pain to the religious guys. Like a massive pain to the church guys. You ever notice that? The only group of people that Jesus really seems to dislike, I'm sure he doesn't, I'm sure someone will theologically correct me, but the only group of people that Jesus really seems to, you know, are the the religious guys. It's like he goes out of his way to get in their faces and do the things that he knows is going to upset them and disrupt them because he wants to shake some things up so people will think about things differently. That's what the, the word repent means, by the way. Metanoia, change the way you think about things. And so when you get to Mark and chapter 3, Jesus is already really hacking off the religious guys. It's amazing to me that when Jesus walked the earth, the people that shouldn't like him loved him, and the people that should didn't very much. Have you ever noticed that? And that's and still true, isn't it? Jesus is deeply attractive. I mean, the church maybe not so much at times. But Jesus is deeply attractive to people. When people encounter Jesus, it's a deeply attractive thing. Because why? Because inside of you, there is a God responder mechanism that God put there when he created you. And, and it's, it, you're hardwired to know God. You're hardwired to walk with him. You're created by him and for him. And Jesus is deeply attractive still to people who don't yet know Jesus they just need introduced and and Jesus is still significantly misunderstood by religious people let's let's read this passage of scripture and let's see what's going on again Jesus entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the sabbath So that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked at them with anger. Not expecting that, were you? He looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Keep that passage of scripture open. Let's just pray. Father, we we still have this audacious thought that not only are you alive, but so is your word. And it's living and active and it changes people. And so we invite you Holy Spirit to come speak to our hearts and to our minds that somehow we might leave here different encouraged, challenged blessed, provoked do what only you can do in our hearts Amen so how is Jesus disturbing? look at verse 4 Jesus we're told is doing good and saving lives (laughs) that'll do won't it? He, that's how he's disturbing. He's doing good things, and he's saving people's lives. That word save is the word sozo in the Greek, and it gets translated healed, freed, mended, made whole, and uh, numerous other, other ways. That's what Jesus is doing. He's healing people. He's making people whole. He's transforming lives. He's including people who are excluded. And and, and, and when he sees religion or the church doing something else, or even the opposite, it makes him mad. And so Jesus walks into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he spies a sick guy, and it's a total setup. He's looking for it, and they're waiting for it, and it's a setup by then, by God, for us. That's why it's here. See, these stories are not just descriptive They're prescriptive for us. They're not just an interesting story about something that happened. They're they're, they're lessons for us to learn what it looks like to know Jesus and walk with Jesus. So there's a man with a shriveled hand. And the religious guys are watching Jesus because they know it's the Sabbath. And they're wanting to accuse Jesus, and Jesus picks a fight with religion. The man had a problem. The problem was his hand. And the problem meant, if you knew anything about Levitical law, the problem meant that he shouldn't be in worship and he shouldn't even be in the place, and he, he certainly would have been excluded. But, but I mean, he's probably only there because it's just one hand. Because you can shake with the good one and hide the bad one. I, I don't know, maybe I'm reading more into the passage than I should. But, but I think that's what's going on. And Jesus is going to do something really cool. Watch this, watch. He's not just going to fix the problem, he's going to expose the system that caused the problem. And that's so vital, because we all have situations, and they all flow out of systems. That means our lives don't always work, don't we? you you got issues. i got them too. Let's not do that. We we all have weaknesses. All of us have got past. All of us have got brokenness. and, And we can hide it, because it's only one hand. Or we can let God deal with it, and the system that causes it. That's what this is about, isn't it? Jesus came teaching the kingdom of God. He came saying there is a kingdom that subverts every earthly kingdom and supersedes every earthly kingdom. There's something different. There's something bigger. There's something, there's something beyond. And he came exposing religion, saying these systems are not going to help you live the kingdom. It's the system that's causing the problem that's killing the kingdom. Reuben, Poynton, Jesus is wanting to disturb the religious stuff disturb passivity, because it's a system that's disabling involvement. You see, you see, when Jesus came, the people were used to different kinds of religious leaders. For the most part, they were either blenders or separators. The separators were the Pharisees and the Essenes. The Pharisees separated themselves from everybody else by trying to be purer than everybody else and by having 600 laws. And the Essenes separated themselves from everybody else by hiding in caves so that no one would, would kind of get them. And, and the Herodians and the Sadducees, they were like the opposite. They were the ones that kind of blended in. You couldn't really see the difference between the Herodian and, 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 and a normal citizen. And so they, they dealt with, and, and, and both are being passive. Some by, by hiding and some by blending And Jesus comes along and says, I'm neither of those things. I'm a restorer. And so the Herodians and the Pharisees, who should never talk to one another really, come together to plot against Jesus because they want to kill him because he's disturbing their comfort and their passivity. Church, I know you know this, but the way of Jesus is a way of involvement, it's always causal. It's always causal. Which, which means you can't just think in any way, shape, or form that church is a place you come to where you get fed. Feed me. And you judge whether, whether the church is good or not as to whether you're getting fed or whether your children are getting taught. Or whether I mean all those things can happen and they're good things to happen but you don't judge church it's, it, it's whether that teaching and that is enabling you to teach yourself and enabling you to teach others and enabling you to be causal enabling you to make a difference in this world you can't just live quiet lives minding your own business with your get out of hell free cards hoping that Jesus will come soon and not getting involved with anybody else's lives or struggles because that's not God We have to care about justice because God is just. (laughs) I mean, this is just logical stuff, isn't it? We have to care about the environment because God is green. If you'd like, he's the original green. We have to care about people because God loves people. He's for people. We have to care about refugees because Jesus was one. We, we have to care about the widows and the orphans because the Bible says that's what religion is all about. Forget everything else. If you want to know what religion is about, it's about caring for the widows and the orphans, the excluded, the, the marginalized, the, the, the broken, the lost, the have-nots. And this is so important because all the social commentators will tell you that we're living in a VUCA world. V-U-C-A. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and angry. Or, or ambiguous. I like angry. Because it is. And, and it's not just a macro world. I mean, you, you, it doesn't take a lot of thinking to, to, to look at our political system, to look at what's going on. I mean, this is not just us. It's easy to look at us and go, oh, Westminster. No. Almost every political system and every economy is volatile, uncertain, complex, angry. And here's the thing. It's not just macro. It's micro. It's us. It's individuals. We, yesterday's certainties have become today's insecurities. The stuff you thought you could rely on, you can't rely on anymore. I mean, who's taking bets on anything? Apart from Arsenal not finishing in the top four this year. <laughs> it's like the perfect stuff. We, we have to say something. You know, it's nonsense. You know, the, 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 the church should not be political. That's just a piece of nonsense. How can you not be political? We, I don't mean... Adhere to a particular political stance or to a political party. I mean, we have to say things that help people. (laughs) We have to act in a way that helps people because Jesus did and Jesus does and God does and he has some stuff to say. He's got a book out. It's an international bestseller. (laughs) We look like the kingdom. We look like the kingdom and we look like the kingdom so disturbingly differently, if that makes any English sense, that people go, hang on, there might even be a different way to think. There might even be a different way to live. We share with one another. We hold our stuff like this, not like this. If, if we handle our money and our capitals and our investments in exactly the same way as everybody else is, we haven't been reading the book. Jesus is disturbing. What if... I'll try and be briefer. <laughs> what if he's wanting to disturb some programs to prioritize some people? See, the problem of religion, you don't have to do an awful lot of analysis when you've hung around church as long as I have to recognize that we are obsessed with programs. It's like an addiction. And Jesus, when you read the New Testament, is doing people over programs. He loves values over vehicles. This is huge. The the principles of the Sabbath are central here, but the practices of the Sabbath seem flexible. Does that make sense? So the principle of the Sabbath is that God ordained a Sabbath because he's just smart. <laughs> it's not all kind of religious, religious stuff. It's just smart. He knows that you need to rest. You work better when you've rested. He knows that you need to stop and recalibrate. He knows that you need to step back for a moment. And so he says, you shall have a day a week when you rest. And there are other spiritual reasons as well. But, that, but that's, what, that's what he's saying. You know, that actually, you need this. And, and what religion does with it is it makes it a law. And says, well, on the Sabbath, you shall not do this, and you shall not do this, and there are about 300 things you shall not do. And we think that's Old Testament. I grew up in a system where there were certain things you didn't watch and certain things you didn't play and certain places you didn't go because it was, it was Sunday. And Jesus, I think here, is willing to break with tradition and upset feelings and mess with reason because there's a different authority in town. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of love. I came to fulfill the law, he says. Done. I came to fulfill the law. See, God loves people. And that's the most banal thing, isn't it? God loves people. He really loves people. All people. Not just good people. Or people that we've decided are good according to our categories of good. Broken people and lost people are good. God loves them. Smart people and sick people. God loves some politically correct people. God loves some racist people. Wow, God loves them too—black people, white people, gay people, straight people. God loves people. He's not got kind of some of the categories of oh, I love them more than this, and oh, he loves people more than programs. And the thing is, the church so often develops programs because people are messy. Therefore, we can we, if we do a parenting course and a marriage course and a course of people who've done too many courses, <laughs> and, and, and then we don't have to handle the fact that we've got people who have almost infinite issues that God can meet and deal with. That's just messy. Programs are easier than people because people are messy and a pain. But, but maybe. God wants to disrupt some things and to remind us that he sent his son to break break some vehicles to get back to some values and to break some programs to get back to people. And where we meet and how we meet and what we do and how often we do it, they are all temporary things that are open to change. But the fact that God loves people is not temporary. What if Jesus is wanting to disturb prejudice? The problem of religion is, is almost certainly a problem of prejudice. Let's try this. Here the prejudice is not about skin color or gender or sexuality. There are a number of those prejudices around. But there is prejudice in the synagogue on the Sabbath. There's prejudice towards Jesus. So... The Pharisees have already decided what Jesus is going to do and and, and what they think about Jesus and how they want to trap Jesus. Break it down the word, prejudge, prejudice. And so, verse two, they're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Friends, while your confirmation bias is in full force, you very easily become a judge of everybody. You, You know what is right. You've already decided the verdict, and then you start looking for the evidence to back up the verdict. Do you know what I mean? The problem with prejudice is you've decided beforehand what is true and what's going to happen and suddenly there's no space for the God of the universe to surprise you with his power and his grace. And you know what? You always find what you're looking for. Don't you? We are so judgy. I speak as a pastor of a church. We are are so judgy. Aren't we? I mean, I, I find it really difficult to walk down the road without judging people, if I'm honest. And I'm gonna be because you never have to invite me back, and you probably never will. <laughs> do you know I find it so difficult? I walk down the road and go, Why are you wearing that? I don't say that out loud. <laughs> why are you wearing that? What's going on? I sometimes think to myself, why are you with him? <laughs> do I, I just do that kind of dust? That, I don't know if you've done it, people cut you up in traffic, there are things you think. <laughs> We're so judgy. We're so judgy in the church. You know, honestly, the the, the nonsense conversations we have and fights we have about whether you're Pentecostal or charismatic or Baptist or emergent or whatever, I mean, who cares? Really? Really? Nobody out there cares and they just think we're stupid. And God is grieved. Because these are brothers and sisters. And here's, here's the thing I want you to get. If you decide to be a judge, you cannot be a witness. You ever noticed that? Because you can't be the judge and the witness at the same time, can you? I mean, I'm sure there are some of you... Legal buffs will come and tell me you actually can. But actually, in my book, you can't be a judge and a witness. So every time we decide we're going to judge everybody, and we're going to judge how people should behave, and we're going to judge the the way people are, and how they parent, and how they bring up their kids, and how they talk to one another, and all that stuff that we assume, which is nonsense to assume, all that time we we dismiss the possibility that we can be witnesses to who God is, and what God does, and how God surprises people, and how God heals people, and how God transforms life, because we're so busy judging everybody. Call me the witness if you're if you're the judge and we're damaging ourselves as much as everybody else and we're missing out on God. I am offended. I think they're the most powerful three words in our culture right now. I am offended. Try to not be offended. Stop looking for things not to like. There's a lot of things not to like in churches and in life. Come on, people. We're all broken. We all mess up the projection. <laughs> we're all living in a broken world with, with the opportunity of transformatory grace. Can you imagine the power of the witness that there would be if this was a judgment-free zone? If people looked at us and went, there's something radically different about those people because they actually live life like this rather than like this. They don't judge people all the time. They're not actually hypocritical, judgmental, and anti-gay. They're different. Prejudice and passivity and programs make Jesus mad. Really mad. And the word is, we haven't got time, but the word is, angry sad it's not the rituals that upset god it's what the rituals have become it's not the buildings that upset him mean, build your buildings it's what the buildings have begun to stand for it's not the budgets it's it's, it's we miss the point so often when we do church in a way that stops being good and freeing people it's in danger of becoming evil and not what God meant. And we need to change it up. And so Jesus says, I'm not doing it your way. In God's house, on God's day, I'm saving some lives. Stretch out your hand, and the man was healed. And it defied religion, and it offended most of them. And Jesus says, I want to disturb you It might be offensive, but I want to disturb you. I don't want to disturb you to hurt you. I want to disturb you to free you, to be exactly what I want you to be in this world. I want to disturb you into a relationship with me. Let me land the plane. Look at verse 14 if you have your Bible still open. Have you ever noticed this? Jesus seems much more concerned with be with me than he is with do for me. He seems way more interested in come be with me than he is come do some stuff for me. And so verse 14, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. And I think, I think it's the being with Jesus that defies religion because if you're with Jesus and if Jesus is in you and if the life of Jesus whose perfect theology and perfect humanity and perfect leadership is in you and then flowing through you then the religion stuff doesn't happen so much because he's all grace and all truth I get to be with Jesus that's what this church gets this church gets to be with Jesus this church gets to be with Jesus it's not the thing that helps us do the thing, it's the thing That's why you never invite me back. (laughs) It's not the thing that helps do the thing. It's the thing. I get to be with Jesus. But the byproduct of being with Jesus is that the life of Jesus in me flows through me. In other words, stop living for Jesus. He doesn't need you to it just creates a strive and a drive and it very easily ends up in religion and courses and programs and making the thing happen and and all being on your shoulders to change the world stop living for Jesus and start living with Jesus and you'll live like Jesus and it will change everything around you see it's the secret to the fruitfulness of your life is not what you do It's about who you be, (laughs) who you behold. Listen to Paul. He, He says this in 2 Corinthians. But you, as you with unveiled faces, focus on the Lord. You are being transformed into his likeness, glory to glory. The secret is Jesus, not you. And Jesus says, come, be with me. Let me disturb you, and you'll live like me. Let's hang out more. Disrupt yourself, big man. Can I pray? So God, we, um, we pray a wheat and chaff prayer. That which was chaff and of the preacher and not very helpful, blow it away on the wind so that it wouldn't affect us in a negative way. But that which was wheat, that which was for our hearts and our souls and our minds, that which is supposed to transform things, would you speak it into our hearts in such a way that it would bug us until we become the people that you're calling us to be? We ask this in Jesus' name. thanks for listening to this week's talk join us next week for another inspirational message